Hello there, I'm Wayne Park, and welcome to Oikonomics, a podcast about the science of ministry, work, administration, and the summing up of everything. Keep coming back for relevant teachings and talks on these subjects and more. Please enjoy the show. I want to welcome you back to the final week of SF506, as well as the last teaching of this series, um, Vocational Formation for Seminary. So the last, uh, I want to say, 16 or 17 episodes or so of my podcast have been all about this class. And for others who are listening in, hopefully it has been a helpful part of your own vocational formation. Um, I've designed this class, just if I could talk now, almost in retrospect, I've designed this class so that it encompasses vocation, not just that is sacred, but also vocation that is secular. You see, everyone who comes to seminary is not necessarily called to traditional ministry. And you're hearing that important qualifier there, traditional ministry, because if you really ask me, I'll tell you that I, there's a lot more that qualifies as ministry in my book uh, than what you might think. And in that regard, vocational formation for me is preparing people from all walks of life, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the homemaker, um, people in all industries, uh, as they go into it with the right ethical and moral and spiritual intent, they're sanctifying their work. And along the way, we've talked a great deal about various spiritual practices that are necessary and I would say vital for vocational formation. You see, you don't just go and do a job in any sector without being spiritually prepared. I've had some interactions this week with educators, and uh, these are quote-unquote secular educators, and I've discovered that In many ways, they need pedagogical formation, but they also need spiritual formation in order to do their jobs. Uh, You don't just gain technical knowledge, but you need to know how to work with the organization, how to work with people, how to work with children, how to interact well. All of these are things that you may or may not learn if you uh, study teaching, But there's a good deal of spiritual foundation that's required for all callings, all walks of life. And in this podcast, I've attempted to provide at least some formation and foundation there. So, as we've talked about formation for vocation, we've talked about spiritual formation practices, we've talked about ministerial vocation, so explicitly Christian ministry, but we've also talked about non-explicitly Christian vocations, uh, non-traditional ministries. Uh, In other words, uh, all kinds of quote-unquote secular work. The last two weeks of this class, we've addressed something that I call entrepreneurial vocation. Entrepreneurial vocation is not necessarily just secular. I count it also as sacred. In other words, to think entrepreneurially To think like an entrepreneur does not necessarily mean you're going to start up a tech company or you're going to start some kind of new business, but it's thinking that I think is applicable as well in the ministry. 
So in many ways, these last two weeks for this class, it's a coverall. It's not just about sacred or secular vocation, but it is about a new, uh, a new posture towards work, um, approaching it entrepreneurially. And I believe we are never more like God than when we are creating. And so in that regard, entrepreneurial vocation, it's not just my chance to talk about work, but creative work. And I think it's a good way to cap off this class, uh, this entire class on vocational formation for seminary. So last week, we've talked about this uh, experience of being stuck and how entrepreneurial vocation oftentimes hits a wall where we realize a new paradigm is required. And we've talked through the critical journey stages. And then we also talked about value and how it's necessary to understand value as you're about to go into a new endeavor. Really, the hardest pitches in many ways are to those who ask you questions about value as you start this new entrepreneurial endeavor. Do you have the resources? Do you have the capital? Do you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur an entrepreneur through the difficult times? So it requires an understanding of value because after all, no one builds a tower without first assessing the cost. No one goes to war without considering if they have enough soldiers to meet the enemy. This is Jesus' teaching. Do you know what you're getting into? Have you counted the cost? This week, as we continue our discussions on entrepreneurial themes, I'm going to talk about empathy, imagination, and risk. Those three things in order. So that's the outline for today's podcast, empathy, imagination, and risk. And I'll tell you that these themes, combined with what I've talked about last week, it all connects quite well with the reading that I've assigned for you, uh, the last reading for this class, which is Michaela O'Donnell's book, Make Work Matter. In fact, I've shared with you already how her book um, has also given way to a learning cohort called The Road Ahead. It's a program that the Dupree Center of Fuller Theological Seminary launched a couple of years ago, and I had the privilege of leading that program. So in many ways, the road ahead and Make Work Matter and Michaela's research that has gone into all of this, I've been lockstep, uh, I've facilitated. It's something that I've been very closely acquainted with, and I'm very happy to share some of these things with you today. Now, mind you, I'm not going to give away the store. Uh, I'm going to talk about these themes, but if you find that you really would like somebody to walk with you and facilitate you through empathy, imagination, and risk-taking, you're just going to have to sign up for The Road Ahead. And we offer those cohorts right here on our Houston campus of Fuller Seminary. In fact, uh, you don't have to matriculate as a student. This is open to anybody. It's open to the public. There's a cost but there are also scholarships that are available. So I'll include the liner note to The Road Ahead. Um, I'll include a link to The Road Ahead in the liner notes for this podcast. So let's go ahead and begin with that first of three themes for today, and that is empathy, empathy. And this first theme is probably going to be the bulk of today's talk. So um, when I'm done with that, it'll be a, a brisk, a brisk downhill uh, climb with the remaining other headings. Empathy 
is a good place for us really to connect all of the pieces where your longing, your desires are now turned outwardly to look at the needs of the world. There's a great quote by Frederick Buechner, and it goes like this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I'll say that one more time. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. You see, in vocation formation for seminary, it's quite possible you've done a good deal of navel-gazing. You've looked into your story, and you've looked into your background and your culture and your context. You've done Lectu Divina. And, but in the end, we can't stop there. We don't want you just to look at yourself because, really, the end objective is community. And I think it's a, an appropriate transition for us as you finish this class that you're finishing on a note of outward looking, that it's not just about paying attention to my longings and my desires and my needs and being healthy for the ministry, but it's also about looking outwards and becoming connected with the people around you through this vital skill of empathy. Empathy. So empathy is something that um, I'm not an expert on, uh, n neither <laughs> academically or even uh, in terms of a, a, a life skill. Um, I tend to be a little bit more rational, a little bit more uh, logical. Um, so I've been told by my beloved family members. The thing about empathy is that uh, it is one's capacity to connect to the emotions that another person feels. And oftentimes, I can make the mistake, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, in wanting to fix things, in wanting to uh, correct things, in wanting to build a system, or in wanting to compartmentalize. Maybe some of you who've done marriage counseling or premarital counseling have heard about how there are some people who compartmentalize. There's spaghetti people, and then there's uh, I don't know, lasagna people, but there's people who have to put things into groups, but then there's others for whom their emotions kind of mix together. In many ways, for me, being a rational, compartmentalized person, I've had to practice empathy such that I am learning to feel and experience the emotions of another person in a way, this is probably too strong of a word, but in a way suspending my reaction and tendency to fix, to correct, to compartmentalize, or to say this is the way that it should be. Really, the best thing that I can do with someone who is feeling a strong emotion is to sit and to say that's really something, that's hard, or that's, that's huge, or that's tremendous, or to connect with them and to say, whether I know what you're going through or not, I'm just willing to be here with you, and I'm so glad that you told me. You know, there's a lot of resources on, on empathy that you can find online. In fact, Brene Brown is probably, in my mind, the leading expert on the subject. If you just look up Brene Brown and her teaching on empathy, you'll find one of the five most viewed TED Talks of all time, which I'm proud to say I believe she delivered right here in Houston. And it kind of propelled her career as kind of a, she started out as a local professor at the University of Houston. She is a Christian, by the way, 
But after that TED Talk in 2010, the power of vulnerability, goodness, it just propelled her career. And um, if you Google Brene Brown on, on empathy, you'll probably see some videos that talk about empathy. I encourage you to watch it. And if you have time for extra credit, I'm somewhat, I'm joking here, I'm, I'm being facetious. But for extra credit, there's another great, great video about empathy that uh, is called It's Not About the Nail. It's Not About the Nail. Now, uh, I just want to say that I, I don't endorse that video or anything. I'm not going to give a public endorsement. But I'm just going to say it is very interesting. I find it hilarious. And I think it's a great analogy for what empathy is. So it's not about the nail. The difference between empathy and sympathy. There is a difference here. Um, and, and here I'm kind of leaning on Brene Brown a bit. People can often confuse empathy and sympathy. So sympathy, that feeling of sympathy is, I feel bad for you. Like you are going through something at oh, that's pity, pity, pity for you. The difference between that, which is sympathy, with empathy is I feel with you. So it's not I feel bad for you, but rather I feel with you. It's amazing how prepositions can change everything. And for my students, I, I've taught you this, to look even at prepositions. It's the difference between um, one theological worldview and another. So sympathy is I feel bad for you or I feel for you. Empathy is I feel with you. Sympathy can create isolation. It can create distance. But the thing is, empathy creates this important, important concept that I want you to know. Connection. Connection. People don't want to be corrected or told that they're wrong it's easy to tell somebody that they're doing something wrong, but what people look for is connection. They're looking for connection. And the, 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 even the ethical component of this, of whether somebody needs to be corrected or told that they're doing something wrong, oftentimes must come on the basis of trust. And what is often mistakenly done is that correction comes but it's not built on this foundation of trust, of empathy, of emotional, and arguably even spiritual connection. When the connection precedes the correction, changes can be made. When the connection precedes the correction, changes can be made. But when the correction precedes the connection, you're just setting yourself up for disaster. It won't work. I've found in my own experience that I've had to connect before I correct because I've seen I've seen it not work the other way around. And it takes practice. It takes practice. I would even make the case that empathy is a spiritual discipline. It's the practice of presence. It's the spiritual practice of listening. And it's something that we need to grow in. It's, it, we call it a practice for a reason because it's not perfected. And just like, for example, sports, Brene Brown uses the analogy of basketball. And she says, when you shoot free throws, 
you'll miss a lot of shots before you start consistently making them. And in the same way, empathy is something that sometimes it'll, it'll fall flat. We won't connect, but we need to keep trying. And the more we learn how to do it, the more we practice empathy, the better we get at it. And this makes a lot of sense to me because emotional work is not something that just clicks on overnight. Emotional work is something that requires a lot of practice. Now, to that end, what I would like for us to do, um, and, you know, I, I recognize the real limits of a podcast. If we were in a classroom, perhaps I would have some time of facilitated listening and spiritual presence. But what I'm going to do in this format instead is I'd like to read a passage of Scripture. And it is the story of the Good Samaritan. And as I read this parable, I'm going to actually invite you to practice listening, to practice empathy. And I'm going to read this passage three times, and I'm going to give you a different prompt each time. So here we are, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. As I read this first time, here is the prompt. I would like you to listen for characters in the story that you empathize with. Listen for characters in the story that you empathize with, that you feel what they feel. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. And by coincidence, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, the one who showed compassion to him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. For the second reading of Luke 10, 25-37, I would like you to listen for characters in the story itself, who show empathy. So once again, your prompt now 
is to listen for characters who show empathy within the story itself. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, um, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by coincidence, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, The one who showed compassion to him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. For this third and last reading, I would like for you to listen for characters in the story who remind you of people on your own journey. Once again, the prompt is to listen for characters in the story who you see some of the people that you encounter in your own life. Who do these characters in the story remind you of? And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said to him, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers. They stripped him and beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. And by coincidence, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, he gave them to the innkeeper and said, 
Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, The one who showed compassion to him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. These passages that I've read three times with the prompts, hopefully, was a good opportunity for you to practice the presence of listening, almost as if you were listening to the people in this story, practicing your own empathy in listening to the characters, listening to uh, the people in your life who this reminds you of, and maybe even listening to yourself in some ways. A couple of follow-up questions about empathy, and this is just for your own spiritual practice. Who do you need to move toward? As maybe people came to your mind or these characters reminded you of somebody, who do you need to move toward? Another question is, how do you need to move toward? I mean, in what way do you approach? Let's say... This is somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while. Do you just kind of Facebook message them? Do you reach out? Do you call them? What's the best way? How do you need to move toward them? And the last question to just consider, and this is especially for my SF506 students, in light of the Enneagram, which we went over a couple of classes ago, how do you process empathy? In light of the Enneagram, how are you, um, in your type, how are you processing empathy? How do you practice empathy? Do you do it well? Do you not do it well? Are there ways that you need to grow in empathy in light of your Enneagram? You know, there's a, a quote, a famous quote that um, I'm going to share with you here as it pertains to empathy. And that quote is this, that which is in the way is the way. That which is in the way is the way. My friends, empathy is a vital spiritual practice to gain, a spiritual capacity and ability. Call it the practice of spiritual presence or whatever, but the ability to connect before you correct is something that every mature leader will need to develop. Every mature leader will need to develop. And I've already shared with you my personal difficulty in not doing this well and having to learn many times the hard way. Don't correct before you connect. Don't avoid what's in the way because in many ways, it is the way. It is exactly the path that you need to go through in order to grow. And so even if you have an urge or an impulse to fix or to, or to compartmentalize, sit, sit for a bit, visit, listen, connect, feel. Because therein is a path of spiritual growth. Now, I'd like to move to the second piece. And here, as I said, it will be a brisk kind of downhill run from empathy to imagination and risk. 
And the reason I want to talk about this theme of, of imagination, rather, is because it is a integral, it's an integral part of the Road Ahead experience, as well as Michaela O'Donnell's book, Make Work Matter. Uh, if there is a center to the book, I would say it's this, and that's just my opinion of her writing. Um, imagination is the capacity in the midst of stuckness to be able to see a way out. And this is where I believe the creative capacity jump starts and becomes alive. And I said this in the beginning, I meant it 100% that we are no more like God than when we are creating. I'll say that again, we are no more like God than when we, when we are creating. And I mean that in many different ways. There's, of course, the obvious. There's the physiological capacity for uh, men and women to create more human beings. And just like God, we can create out of nothing. Ex nihilo is the, the phrase there, the theological term. Um, but I also believe that when it comes to entrepreneurial solutions, when it comes to systems building, uh, the building of governments and the creation of art and, and many different things, I believe we are, we are becoming co-creators with God. And imagination is the vital, the vital, I would really say the spark that, that makes the creative process happen. And there are two words that Michaela O'Donnell introduces that, even for me, it's changed my life. And those two little words are, what if? Say that right now, even. What if? What if? The, the interesting thing is, in addition to this class, I'm also facilitating a road ahead cohort um, for denominational pastors. And I have a group of about 15 people where just this week I've led them in this facilitated process of asking what if. And I can tell you, having led numerous Road Ahead cohorts in the past myself, exciting things are going to come out. Exciting things. What if? What if? Um, what if I went in this new direction? What if I crafted this new endeavor? What if I built this thing? What if I wrote a book? What if I started a new career? What if I retired and went into this direction? The question, what if, can trigger tremendous things if we approach it like a spiritual discipline. Of course, everything's like a spiritual discipline for me uh, because I believe God is present in all things. We just need to pay attention. But this question, what if, can be a spiritual exercise in opening ourselves up to what God is about in the world. Now again, I can't facilitate that process here because of the, the limits of this, of this medium of the podcast. Um, and I also don't want to give away the shop. You, you're just going to have to sign up for the road ahead. But this process that's intentionally facilitated, where you go from stuck to looking at your longings and your desires to empathy and then to imagination and finally to risk-taking, it's a truly remarkable process to behold. It truly is. I've seen, um, I've seen miraculous things come out of it. And that really leads us to this last piece, risk, and I'll land the plane here. Risk is the outcome of all of this. If you are asking the question, what if, rigorously enough, it should result in some kind of risk thereafter, some kind of uh, new opportunity, some kind of scary thing maybe. I mean, 
I remember asking the question, what if, years ago, and it led to me uprooting my family and moving to Texas? What if? What if we entered into this new process or went down this new pathway? And uh, in the road ahead, we facilitate. We facilitate this process from imagination to taking your next doable risk. And in many ways, um, this is where the entrepreneurial spirit and the creative process, the co-creating with God, this is where it comes alive. And it's exciting, I got to tell you. So in conclusion, as we not just wrap up this talk about entrepreneurialism, but really uh, vocation formation, I just want to say that for this this 10-week class and for this 16-17 episode series, it's really been a pleasure walking alongside you. I hope you'll take a few minutes to share this podcast with a friend or tell others about Oikonomics and the resources that are offered on this website. God bless you all and continue to grow in these practices. I look forward to hearing the stories of how they've changed your life. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to learn more, visit us online at www.oikonomics.com. That's O-I-K-O-N-O. M-I-K-S dot com.